Holy Spirit, who spoke to Moses from the burning bush, speak to us now in the reading and proclaiming of your word. Amen. Our scripture reading for this morning comes to us from Exodus chapter 3, the first 15 verses. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, if I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Thus shall you say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever and my title for all generations. Holy wisdom, holy word, thanks be to God. This week marked the 60th anniversary of the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. An estimated 250,000 people gathered on August 28, 1963 in front of the Lincoln Memorial on the National Mall. And on that hot August day, they witnessed one of the most important speeches in American history. As a 34-year-old prophet from Alabama told us about the dream that he had. 
And that's what prophets do. They, they tell the truth about the way things are, and then they invite us to dream of something better. And the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is often seen as a Moses of the black community, one who spoke truth to power and led his people to freedom. And like Moses, King was called to this work. He had come to Birmingham to be a preacher and anticipated a quiet life of writing and ministry. But one year into this call, Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat on the bus, and suddenly King, a young pastor new to the area, was asked by his community to lead the Montgomery bus boycott. A few weeks into the boycott, King wasn't sure that he could continue in this work. He had begun receiving as many as 40 death threats on the phone every day. And in one particularly harrowing death threat at midnight, he hung up the phone and prayed to God, Lord, I'm down here trying to do what's right. I think I'm right. I think the cause we represent is right, but Lord, I must confess that I'm weak now. I'm faltering. I'm losing my courage. And King said it was after that prayer that for the first time in his life he heard a voice within him speaking, saying, Martin Luther, stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. And lo, I will be with you even to the end of the world. I heard the voice of Jesus saying to still fight on. He promised to never leave me, never to leave me alone. No, never alone. No, never alone. He promised to never leave me, never to leave me alone. That night, King heard from God. The same God who spoke to Moses from the burning bush. Of course, the only God that's actually worth believing in is the God who is committed to freedom for all. Any other God is too small and unworthy of our worship. This summer, we have spent our whole last few months walking through the book of Genesis back to our origin story. We've been following Abraham's family And two weeks ago, we saw how Joseph had risen to power in Egypt, how he reconciled with his brothers and saved the family from starvation. We ended things on a high note, but of course they didn't stay there. Since that time, Israel's family moved down to Egypt and they grew in numbers and everything was going great until there was a regime change, a political change in Egypt as a new pharaoh rose to power who distrusted the Israelites and enslaved them. Oh, and let's see, 400 years then went by. And people began to forget about God's promises to Abraham, that God was going to bless the entire earth through his family. What good are those promises after four centuries of toil? And that's when Moses enters the picture. A child of a Hebrew slave and raised in Pharaoh's household, Moses had a hybrid identity. Born into the oppressed class, yet given access to the ruling class. As an adult, Moses witnessed an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave, and he exacted 
vigilante justice. He kills the Egyptian oppressor. And yet the people that Moses stand up for, his own people, did not recognize him as their own. And Pharaoh, when he found out what Moses had done, tried to kill him. And so Moses flees into the wilderness as a fugitive. And it's there, when Moses is stripped of everything, that he discovers his calling. He's a criminal, a murderer, an immigrant, and this is the one whom the Lord calls to deliver his people. Incidentally, side note, if I were to ask real quick, like by a show of hands, how many of you can just say, you know, I recognize I'm a sinner? Yeah, no problem, right? I think for the most part, that's going to be a pretty easy thing to do in a church. How many of us would also say, you know what? And along with that, while we're at it, I'm a criminal. Wait, where are the hands? That's so interesting. So none of you have broken the speed limit in your life. Wow. It's incredible. You all are so much more righteous than I am. See, when it comes to sinfulness, you go, oh yeah, that's something I identify with. But when it comes to criminals, you go, oh, that's not me. Meanwhile, we've all broken the law. Meanwhile, God only calls and saves sinners and lawbreakers. Meanwhile, Jesus himself identifies with sinners and himself dies as a criminal and a lawbreaker. Here's the good news, friends. God only saves lawbreakers. It's the only people God can save. So Moses is out caring for his sheep, and he comes to a mountain called Horeb, which means wasteland. And while he's there, he sees a bush that is inflamed and yet doesn't burn up. And from that bush, God speaks, Moses, Moses. And he responds, here I am. The rabbis have mused about this encounter and they suggest that this bush was always burning from the creation of the world. And they say that Moses passed by it many times before, but for some reason on this day, he turns and notices and discovers the presence of God that was there the whole time right under his nose. The poet Elizabeth Barrett Browning writes, Earth is crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pick blueberries, blackberries. (laughs) What if she's right? What if heaven is bursting through earth's seams all the time? If only we take notice. What if when we go through periods what appears to be God's absence, we do so while surrounded by the unseen presence of God? What if every bush is burning if we only pay attention? God calls Moses, here I am, Moses replies, and God says, come no closer, remove the sandals from your feet, for the place in which you are standing is holy ground. So why does God tell Moses to take off his shoes? I've always assumed it was a sign of respect. If the ground is holy, then somehow removing one's shoes is an act of humbling oneself before the divine. Theologians love to emphasize the difference between God 
and humanity, pointing to the transcendence of a holy God. And perhaps this is what's going on with this whole take-off-your-shoes bit. But there's another way to think about this command. I mean, think about your own life. When are you asked to take off your shoes? Is it when you're called into the boss's office for your annual review? That you just take off your shoes and say, what's on your mind, boss? No. You take your shoes off when you are in the presence of someone who knows you, who loves you just as you are. Toes, bare feet, and all. What if coming into God's presence isn't about coming into the presence of someone that is so great that you must tremble in fear, What if the good news is that Moses, this migrant criminal living in the wasteland, is invited by the Creator to find his home on the very ground on which he stands? What if God invites Moses and you and me to discover the presence of God right where you are? God meets Moses where he is. And that's where God meets us as well. Not in a posture of fear and trembling, but of intimate connection. Take off your shoes, Moses. Be at home with me right here in this wasteland. Discover yourself right where you are as the beloved of God. In his dialogue with Moses, God uses three important verbs, saying, I have seen the misery of my people. I have heard their cry. Indeed, I know their sufferings. Though 400 years have elapsed, God has seen the misery of her people, has heard their cries, and knows their suffering, and is prepared to do something about it. I think that's what we all want when we're hurting, isn't it? To be seen heard and known. That's what we want, and that's exactly what God promises. It may appear that God has abandoned you, but through it all, you are never alone. No, never alone. Of course, in addition to God's presence amidst our suffering, I think we also want God to step in and do something about it, don't we? And the Exodus is a story in which God does just that. But notice that it doesn't happen in the timeline we'd want. 400 years go by before Moses meets God. The arc of justice is indeed long. In fact, it feels too long. But amid our waiting, God is always present, seeing, hearing, and knowing our pain. You are never alone. No, never alone. And one day we will be free at last. That's a lot to take in and difficult to believe. It's difficult for us to believe. I don't know about you, but I don't see the burning bush most days. Moses did see the bush, heard the voice, and yet still struggled to believe. He's afraid and he's unsure, just like we are. But his fear is no match for God's promise. When Moses balks and says, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? God responds, I'll be with you. 
Then Moses says, well, who are you? And God says, oh, I am who I am. <laughs> it's enough to make you chuckle. Mysterious enough to make you laugh. Who am I? I'm with you. Who are you? I am who I am. Okay, God. Origin stories answer the questions, who am I and where did I come from? And our origin story says that who you are is one that God is with. And where you came from, oh, you came from God. Well, who is God, you ask? Well, God is who God is. <laughs> that sounds like circular reasoning, but it's not. It's an invitation to trust that God is with you. And it's always larger than any category or definition that you can come up with. God is spacious and cannot be contained by our doctrine. But we can say this. God is committed to the liberation of all humanity. Absolutely committed. Why? How can we know that? Well, because God wasn't just with Moses and Dr. King, but God is with you and with me and with all people. And if God is in and with all people, then surely the oppression of anyone is an affront to God. For God cannot be enslaved. God is nothing if not free. God is, as Karl Barth said, the one who loves in freedom. After hearing the voice of God that night, King went on with new courage in his task. He said, almost at once my fears began to go. My uncertainty disappeared. And like Moses, King led his people to freedom. But God's work of liberation is far from complete. But the bush is still burning. And the ground is still holy. And the one who calls you from the wasteland of your life sees, hears, and knows your suffering. So take off your shoes, not in fear and trembling, but in the assurance that you are loved just as you are, you and everyone else. The one who loves in freedom will one day bring that freedom for all. May it be. Amen.